Welcome to Word of Grace, the local assembly in the Berkshires. Thank you for joining us for this time in the Word. When we spoke on Matthew, the 11th chapter, I think it was Sunday morning, I think. Yes, and, and we wanted to get more into that. But anyways, uh, verse Matthew 11, verse 26 says, Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight. So obviously, that is a beautiful portion that begins to tell us that every single thing that happens to us as God's children in his sight when it comes towards us is good. It, had, it has to go through him, his, who he is and his love and his wisdom before it comes to us in the form of good. And we can rest uh, very, very much in, in the truth of that. All things are delivered unto me of my Father. That's a very beautiful thing that we can rest in. Because Christ is for us. And God has seen to it that we would be for him, in him. So we are for Christ in him. Because he is for us, with himself in us. And because of that, because of what Christ has accomplished for the Father, all things have been delivered unto him. That means all of our deliverance, every single thing that we need, all our provisions, everything, for every thought, word, deed, feeling, emotion, everything, is all in his hands. Every single bit of it. And that's why no man can know the Son but the Father. And that's why neither knows any man the Father except the Son. And he to whomsoever the Son will reveal. And then, of course, it says this, and this is what he would constantly have us do with every single thing that we face, everything that comes towards us through him, and remember, everything that comes towards us has, has to go through him. And it's an opportunity then for us to come unto Christ. Matthew 11, verse 28. Every single thing that God allows in our life is the opportunity for us to come unto him. It's another way to see just how powerful just how awesome, just how loving, just how intimate, just how tender and compassionate he is towards us. And so he says, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And it's your opportunity to take my yoke upon you and learn of me. There's another thing. Everything that happens to us, every single thing that happens to us, is an opportunity for us to learn of him. To learn of him. He said, because I am meek and lowly, I am gentle and humble. And because of that, you will find rest unto your souls. So then everything then in that place becomes an opportunity to rest. So it becomes an opportunity to learn of him, and then it becomes an opportunity for
for us to have a place of rest while we're down here. Why? He says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Maybe when we face, are faced with the times or things that we have to go through to us don't seem to be easy or light. But when we yoke up with him, then they are. That's the only time they are. The only time it's easy and light is because of him, who he is, what he's accomplished, and what he desires, and who he is, and what he's accomplished to work in and through us as we learn of him. And he said that I will give you rest. Now the word rest is is ana. Anapasis. Anapasis. It's A-N-A-P-A-U-S-I-S. And this is what that rest speaks of. It speaks of what His grace, and notice what it is, it's His grace. It's something we don't have, but it becomes, when we face whatever it is, becomes our opportunity to draw near to Him, to yoke up with Him, so that He can do one thing, give us the grace that makes everything good while we're down here. What makes everything good for us while we're down here, while we wait to see him face to face? It's his grace. And only his grace, what's in him, can make all good while we're down here. And that's very, very, very important. It's a beautiful thing to realize because what is good to us down here is very simply what God the Father is resting in and what satisfies his love. In other words, God the Father is resting and satisfied in what his son, who his son is, and what he accomplished towards the Father and then again on our behalf. The Father rests in His Son in the fact of who He is towards us. Think about it. God Himself is resting in the provision of His Son and what His Son can give us in terms of His grace while we're down here to make everything good. What makes it good is that God Himself is resting satisfied in it and finding pleasure. It's what pleases him, his son. And he's given him to us. And he gave him to us because he is the supply, the unending, limitless supply for every single thing that we need. Everything. Now then, in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 21, it says this. Therefore, let no man glory in men. Boy, last thing we want to do is glory in what we think or what we think we can do apart from Christ. We are not to glory in ourselves, or in other words, our own thoughts or our own feelings at all. That's what we are not to do. We're not to glory in men or humanity apart from Jesus Christ. 
ours or anyone else's. Why? For all things are yours. Really? Yes. Wow. You mean everything that God allows in my life? That's for it's it's all things are yours in that sense? Yes. Because in Colossians 3, verse 11, Christ is all, he is our all, and he's in all. He's our all. He's all we'll ever need. Philippians 4.19, my God will supply all your need according to his riches and glory in and by Christ Jesus. So all things are yours. Now watch what it says in verse 22. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, Peter, or the world or life, now watch this, or death. Life or death or things present, whatever hits us in the present, is ours in Christ. It's ours. Or things to come, all are yours. What does that mean? Listen. Christ is our life in Colossians 3, verse 4. All things pertaining to life are ours in Christ. Who conquered death? Jesus Christ did. He conquered it. He conquered it for so many that have gone on before us. Recently, he conquered it for Sharon. He conquered it. It was hers. Ecclesiastes 7, verse 1. The day of one's death is better than the day of one's birth. We were born sinners in in Psalm 51, verse 5. We were born as sinners. But you know what? We go out perfect in Christ. And all death is, is the doorway into an unbelievable life that can never be, at least never positionally even now for us, but never to be separated from him experientially. Nothing can. Nothing can. So all things are yours. And why? Because look at verse 23 of 1 Corinthians 3. And you are Christ. In his love for us, in his intimate, personal, and very exclusive in the sense for each individual, his love for us, what has he left undone? If God the Father gave us his son, and he was the very, very best that he could give, and in giving him, then what would he have left undone? Has God left anything undone about our life? In the fact that he gave us Christ. You are Christ. Can you? We are owned by him. We're not our own in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. We were bought with a price. Therefore, it's our opportunity for him to be glorified in us and for us to be blessed. You are Christ. Think about it. And Christ's God's. Wow. Think of what we've got going for us. Think about what we have going for us. Listen, it is incredible. It is amazing what we have going for us. Well, let's read 
Hebrews, and again, I want to just read Hebrews, the fourth chapter, pertaining to what we're saying about Jesus Christ. It says in verse 14, seeing then, seeing then. What are we to see? What we just said. All things are ours. And how do we see it? We see it by faith. In 2 Corinthians 5, verse 7, we walk by faith, not by sight. Not by our feelings. In 2 Corinthians 4, 18, we look not at the things that are seen by natural sight, by our feelings, but at the things that are not seen, because the things that are seen are what? Temporal. We're passing through them. All those things that may seem to us to be difficult... What are we doing? We're passing through them. But we can even pass through them yoked up to him. Learning from him. Receiving his gentleness and his humility. And then finding rest as we pass through all of those things. We look not at the things that are seen, but at the things that are not seen. Because the things that are seen are very, very temple when you consider eternity. But the things that are not seen are what? They are eternal. That speaks of the life that Christ is to us. He is, in 1 John 5, 11, he is eternal life. And it just so happens, it's ours. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens. He led the way for every he opened and led the way for all those that have gone on after him, all our loved ones. And he is the open door in John 10, 7 and 9 for us to pass through. And even, even when our physical bodies are separated from our spirit and our soul, really, we never even in that sense lose consciousness. The of him, but only enter into a greater and uninterrupted experience of it. And even our physical bodies, it says, that the believer's bodies, really, they're not really dead. They're sleeping, waiting to be resurrected. Second Corinthians 5, 8, absent from the body, you blink your eyes, present with the Lord. I mean, almost, it's, it's almost quicker. Absent from the body, boom, phew, present with the Lord, instantly, boom. Incredible, uninterrupted intimacy and fellowship. We may miss all of those that have gone on before us. I guarantee you they are not missing us. Seriously. And I'll tell you why. Because they see what we don't see. They're face to face. They see what's ours in the most incredible way. And there's no missing us. They're just seeing us in Christ. And they can because they, they see who they are in him face to face. They see clearly and beautifully. For we have, we do have, and this is how you read Hebrews 4.15, we do have a high priest who can be touched by the feeling of our infirmities. We can. We do. He was in all points, in all points, affected by what affects us in our fallen nature 
and would, which would tempt us to sin. It never tempted him to sin, ever. But he sure felt the effects of it as our great high priest. That's why he can be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. And yet, he, and it was sin apart. Will you see yet in that verse, in any translation, you want to just cross it out. It's never in the original. It literally reads, but was in all ways tested like, and that like there, like as we, with sin apart. That's how it's literally written in the original. Sin apart. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy, his tender, compassionate, loving kindness to experience it, and find grace to help right in the nick of time, because that's what it says, right in the nick of time. And we have these three great, and they're great what we have, these provisions we have while we're down here. And remember we said, we have that grace while we're down here that sees us through. And here it is. We have these three important principles for going through this wilderness. And that's what we're in right now. See? Sharon's not in the wilderness anymore. Uh -uh. No. She's in the promised land. She is in Christ. In person. <laughs> She's right there. But we, here we are, we're in the wilderness, this world system. It's, it's a weary place where we can get weary. But thank God, we don't have to get weary in well-doing. Good works, it says, allowing Christ to work through you. For in due season, we're going to reap, if you think not. In other words, we can experience what's ours in eternity right now. And even when we faint, what is he doing? He's waiting to be gracious. He is there. And even when we faint, may I say if we do, you don't even see someone faint? Okay? Fall forward. Don't go backwards. Fall on him. In your weakest moment, when you faint, you feel like you're going to faint, we are to fall on him. That's what it means. You come. You have a high priest. You do. He's high above everything. He has passed through everything that affects you. Every single thing. He's passed through it himself. You and I have him to fall on in our weakest moments. And thank God we can do that. We have these three things that allow us to go through this, this wilderness and have rest while we do it. The first thing is, is we have the Word. We have the Word. We have Christ Himself, the Word. In Hebrews 4, verse 12, the Word of God is living. Oh boy, do we need to experience the life that we have that's Christ, that is ours in Christ when we're very weak and frail? We need life. <laughs> well, we have it through the Word. The Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It'll cut right through. It cuts right through loneliness. It cuts right through pain. It cuts right through misunderstanding. It cuts right through sorrow and sadness. It cuts right through it. 
The word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a critic of the thoughts and intents of the heart. We have the word. And then what do we have? We have the priesthood. We have Christ interceding for us, feeling what we felt. Do you miss a loved one? He feels it. He is able to comfort us and to strengthen us and to impart the grace that's his right into our soul. And that's what strengthens us. He knows. He has felt pain. He knows what it's like to miss someone that he loves. So he certainly knows how it is for you and I. We have a high priest. A high priest. Then what do we have? We have a throne. We have a throne. We have one who's ruling and reigning and and there as a result of conquering everything. He has conquered it. There isn't anything that he hasn't left undone. So the word begins to come in and search. It's really beautiful. It searches. Is there an area of loneliness? Is there an area of pain? The word comes in and searches and has a way to so finely do a beautiful operation to separate us from what's affecting our soul. From what affects us. And then the Holy Spirit can take what's of Christ and impart it to us because it's ours. He imparts it to us. In other words, do we need strength when we're weak? We can get it. Why? We have the word. We have a high priest and we have a throne. He is ruling over all. In terms of us, for sure. He is ruling and reigning over our all because he is all and he is our all. And so the word comes in and searches. All that is working in our mind, the word comes in and says, okay, this is not of me. So I'm going to separate it and I'm going to show you what's yours. And here you go. Here's, here's the grace that you need. It's not here in what we think. It's not here in what we're feeling. Are you sad? Good, I'll come in and I'll separate and give you a provision so that you're not alone in what you are going through. And then we can learn. Boy, we can learn. In other words, we, he, we are put in a position for him to impart what he received while he was down here in humanity. Wow. And of course, it's the only thing. That, he is the only one that can see us through. Because he's been through it. He's been through every single detail. He cried, and he was 5'7", strong tears. He did. He knows about the communication of tears. Oh, he does. Knows it very, very intimately. His word comes in and knows, and instantly he knows. Oh, you're weak. Here's, here's some strength. Yeah, you need to be built up. Here I am. I'm, a high, I'm your high priest. 
you come to me and you come boldly to the throne. You come boldly. Why? Because as he is on this throne, I lift it up, so are we. He has made himself one with us in every single thing that pertains to us. As he is, so are we in this present evil world. That's why we can come boldly. That's why there's no fear in love in 1 John 4, 17 and 18. And so what do we see here? His son, the word in us, through the power of the Holy Spirit, be, is literally God's eye that never leaves us. That's right. God always has his eye on us. Does. That's right. We're the little man. We're the apple. Zechariah 2 8. We're the apple of his eye. We're the little man inside that never leaves his sight. That's because of, of who Christ is and what he's accomplished and how he's made himself one with us. We have that working for us. And then the priesthood, what does it do? It sustains us. The priesthood, Christ who was that priest, he sustains us in grace. That strengthens us. He strengthens us in every infirmity. He strengthens us in every difficulty. He's there to strengthen us in every single trial, every trial. And the why? Why? He's seated on a throne, and that throne is perfect in grace. It's perfect. And it's a throne, and it's the measure of our authority. It is the very measure of our authority. We do have a high priest, but he's not so high that he went beyond or around anything that affects us. You see, God the Father wanted to know every single thing about us and he sent his son and had him put on humanity so that he could. And then his son, who represents us right now, in him positionally, that son communicates to his father. And what an exchange they have about us. Can you imagine? What is the exchange? Boy, I mean, how'd you like to listen in on that? Well, you can. It's right here. Zephaniah 3.17. He is resting in love. And who is, the, who is it? Who is he but the son of his love in Colossians 1.13? The father's resting. Think about it. He is resting. That's why Jesus says, come unto me. Come unto me. You, you come unto me. Because, because the father's resting in me and I'm resting in him. And you want to hear the conversation we have about you. But you can't hear it until you come. It's yours, but you have to come. That's why Jesus, his invitation always for us is you come. 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 Don't rely on your feelings. Don't rely or allow the difficulty or the trial to keep you. You just come. Because I, because he says, I guarantee you, you will find rest unto your soul. 
Why? Because he is the measure of our rest. God the Father measured every single thing that we would need to rest in. And then he sent his son as the accomplishment of it. That means that we are perfectly accomplished in him. How's that one? And yet, do we believe it? Do we believe it? Well, it's, it's incredible when we think about it. There's nothing left undone. Not a single thing. No matter how weak, and this is what I love, no matter how weak and failing that we realize ourselves to be, our position in him never changes. That's right. Even when we don't receive in our weakness the strength that he so desires to impart to us, doesn't change who we are in him. Doesn't. Malachi 3, 6, I am the Lord, your God. Oh boy, think about what that verse says tonight. I am the Lord, your God. I change not. You may change. It doesn't affect me towards you. It doesn't affect me one bit. I'm the Lord, your God. I don't change. Numbers 23, 19, God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should ever change his mind. Has he not said and will he not do it? Has he not spoken through his word, through his son? And will he not bring it to pass? Has God not spoken through his son? And will he not bring it to pass now that the son has accomplished everything that the father desired? Pertaining to their own relationship and pertaining to us to leave anything undone. He didn't leave a thing undone. Not one single thing. He never changes. Jesus Christ the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. Listen, he is our yesterday. Did he mark any of our failures yesterday? Did he hold us accountable? When we were weak, did he point the finger? Or did he become one with us in our weakness? He was the same yesterday. He's the same today. Everything we'll face, he's the same. He's the same provision today. And you know what? He'll be there for us forever. Yeah, forever. Forever and ever and ever. So, as we begin to wrap this up, listen, without a doubt, there's no doubt, really, pertaining to what God has revealed in this word about what he has done, this great work that he has done in and through Christ for us. He's done it. And every single thing that Jesus Christ has done is ours in him. I mean, here's God, right? the eternal one. And here is Jesus Christ. And he, through who he is and what he's done, is our all. Who he is and what he's done 
is our all. And everything that he's done, he did what you and I couldn't do. And it's ours and him because he did it and it's done. That means he's taking care of everything about us. Seriously. Honestly, there isn't one provision that we need, no matter how weak or how strong, that isn't ours instantly. That's why he says you come. Come. Because he wants to reveal incredible intimacy to us. That's what he wants to do. He wants to reveal it to us. So without a doubt, he's done all of these incredible things. But you know what the first effect is sometimes of every single thing that he's done, who he is and what he's done, is sometimes the first effect of it, of his working, his wanting to work into us what is ours in him that we are not yet experiencing. Notice what I said? It's already done. It's already ours in our position. But the first effect of him working in us what we aren't experiencing that is ours is what? Guess what it is? It's distress and trouble. <laughs> hmm. Okay, so it's all ours. It's ours. But yet I feel in my life right now distress and trouble. Because that's the first sign of him working in us and wanting and desiring to work into us in our experience what is ours in our position. So he wants to work it in. So if you wonder, you ever wonder why there's distress and, and seeming trouble in your life? Because he wants to work into you and I what's ours in our position, but we're not yet experiencing it. You know why? Because we haven't yet come over to him in absolute dependence in that area. That's what he's doing. So we can't really say experientially that all is ours. But yet we did read what God's word said. All things are yours. You are Christ and Christ is God. We read that, didn't we? First Corinthians 3, 21 to 23. Didn't we read those verses? Yeah. They're ours. And when we can't say that all is ours and everything that we're going through, then what do we do? We begin to look to our present condition. Hmm. Because we're not looking to him. So all we can do is look at our present condition and then begin to look at the fruit that we think that we should have and don't have <laughs> when all the fruit is in him and it's ours in him positionally but we're not experiencing it because we're looking to that. And then we look to our feelings to know whether we're really his and whether he's really for us in all these things. We start looking to those things. Well, what does he want us to do? And we're going to shorten this. We have to shorten it. Not because I want to, but just because of time and so forth. So I'm going to condense it a little bit and then possibly we'll see what God would have maybe later. But look, when you and I, and remember, the first 
effects of his working in us into our experience, what is ours in our position is distress and trouble. Right? Then at times that can cause us to look inward to our feelings, to whether we have fruit or not, whether we have value or not, all these things. And what we're doing when we do that is this, is that we're looking at the work or to the work of the Holy Spirit in us. Because the Holy Spirit is taking the things of Christ and through the distress and trouble is trying to show us what is ours. But then we begin to look at that working of the Holy Spirit. And then we see, well, in this area, I'm, I'm imperfect. There's no fruit. We begin to start looking at those things. We begin to look at the work of the Holy Spirit as he's working into us what is of Christ and what is ours in him. That's what he's doing, the Holy Spirit. But that's not what gives us rest. With the Holy Spirit taking the things of Christ to work them into us, right? Because the distress and the trouble brought us there. And so the Holy Spirit begins to work in us. And that working, seriously, we begin to what? Rest in that? It doesn't give us rest, and it shouldn't give us rest. Why? Listen, because here's the reason, and we'll close with this, and we'll have to do another part on this too. Here's the reason, right? Because Jesus never says this to us. Think about this. He never says, find out what your condition is. Never says that to us. He never says, work through your feelings. And then come on to me and you'll have rest. Never says that. Doesn't ever say it. No, he doesn't say it. What does he say? He says, come unto me. I don't care. How, really, feelings, doesn't matter. However you're feeling, you come to me. You come. All you that are laboring and are heavy laden, and I want you to come just as you are. I am not asking you. Jesus is not asking us to check out our feelings, make sure they're right, and then come to him. He's saying, come to him. Are you heavy? And are you, are you laboring and heavy laden under, these, under distress, under trouble, looking to your feelings, and you can't find rest? You're not resting. Come unto me. That's when you come, not withdraw. That's when you draw near, not withdraw. You come unto me. You come just as you are. And you know what? He says this, I will give you rest. He's saying, you're not going to find it on your own. You can't depend on yourself. You need rest? Good. You come to me, and I will give you rest. Because <laughs> guess what? He is our rest. He's our peace in Ephesians 2, verse 14. He's our all in Colossians 3, verse 11. 
And finally, we said this, and he will give us rest. We made this statement. I think I shared it. We didn't, we didn't get it on the tape, but I said it the last time we were together. I said, hey, there's one statement I just want to say, and I want to repeat the statement, and here it is. Our rest, the rest that's ours, the rest that we so desire, does not come from our being what he wants us to be. Listen, can't say it enough. Can't say it enough to hear either, especially here. Our rest doesn't come from our wanting to be or our being what he wants us to be. But our rest comes from his being what we want. Boy, that's huge. Boy, that's, a, that's huge in our life. Why? Because he made peace in Colossians 1, verse 20. He made peace. The peace that we desire to have with God, the peace that we have, that we desire, has been made by Him. And He is our peace. He won our peace. And now we can rest in that fact. We can rest in it. Why? He made peace through the blood of His cross. Listen, when He did that, that settled everything for us. Did it? settled everything for us in our position and it will settle everything for us in our experience when we believe Him. When we trust Him. When we depend upon Him. You know why? And we'll close with this because God won't have anything to do in our experience with us but what Christ's work has accomplished. What do I mean by that? He's not, he, he's not interested. He doesn't want our feelings. In other words, those negative or those bad things apart from Christ. He'll have no, no us depending on our feelings, no, none of us depending on our fruit, he is not going to depend on anything. He only wants us to believe what he has already accomplished, what Christ has already accomplished. It's the only thing he wants us, and that's the only thing that we can rest in. Our feelings apart from him give us no rest. Our evaluation of who we are apart from him, you think that gives us rest? It doesn't. It doesn't give any of us rest. Okay, the fact of the matter is, is this. We have this tender, loving, compassionate high priest, Christ, who's, who's been through every single infirmity. He, he's been through it. And with that tender, loving compassion that he is, he wants it through us receiving and drawing near to him to enter into all our trials and all our weaknesses. Because that life that he is, that he had in his humanity, went through it. It went through every single trial. It went through every single weakness. Remember in 2 Corinthians 13, verse 4, he was crucified in weakness, meaning he had humanity. Perfect. But weak. 
but filled with all the strength and power that you and I will need. So, you and I are not to look to ourselves about anything. It's true. God won't have it. But he has everything for us to look to, and that's his son. That's Hebrews 12, verse 2. Looking away from all that would distract unto Jesus. Really, it means having eyes. Having eyes only for Christ. In other words, having God's sight of who Christ is in us and who we are in him. That's what he has for us. We have this high priest. What is, what is the need that we have? What is the need that we have tonight? What is it? What is it that we desire? Has God the Father met every single one of our desires in Christ? Did he leave anything undone about you and I through his son? He didn't leave a thing. Not one little, not, not a feeling, not, not a loneliness, nothing he didn't leave undone. Not a tear, not even a tear. Not even a tear. So Lord, we thank you for <clears throat> the preciousness of your son. Thank you that while we're here in this wilderness, we can draw near, because we draw near to one who has passed through into that very heavens. And he's the word. He is your final say about, and your final and eternal say about everything. We have the word. And that word who Christ is, is our high priest. And he's high above everything. Not in terms of not going through what we would go through, but having gone through it victoriously and defeating everything. That's what it means. He's our high priest. He's high above everything, having gone through it all, as us and for us and with us. And then we have a throne. Because of who he is and what he's accomplished, he rules and he reigns with unbelievable tenderness and compassion every single thing that we've ever faced is our authority. What an authority. What a ruler. What a master. And with, with his word, with him as the high priest and his throne, he wants to rule and master us in every single thought, word, deed, and emotion. Because he is high and lifted up and fills all. And that's our provision while we're here through this wilderness. And thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening in. We hope you were blessed and God was glorified. Feel free to go to our website at awordofgrace.org for daily posts and teachings.